Welcome to Just One Q. I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, a diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate. In this podcast, I chat with industry experts and thought leaders about the latest trends related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Each episode, I ask just one question tied to current events. The goal is to leave you with the tools that you need to drive change in your own life, both personally and professionally. Now, over the past few episodes, I've been focusing a lot on DEI at the systems level. But today, I want to pivot and discuss interpersonal relationships, because it's really in these day-to-day interactions that have a tremendous impact on the success or failure of a company's DEI efforts. And in particular, I want to talk about the idea of personal accountability. If you've been following the news cycle lately, you've likely heard about Lady Susan Hussey, who recently resigned from her position as a lady-in-waiting due to comments she made at a reception at Buckingham Palace for her sister space, a charity that supports women of African and Caribbean heritage across the UK who have faced domestic and sexual abuse. Now, Hussey's case is notable because of the prominent and public role she held and has given rise to a much-needed larger public debate or conversation around personal accountability. The reality, though, is that comments like the ones Lady Hussey made are heard in workplaces in Canada, Britain, and the U.S. daily, and often go unnoticed and unaddressed. So when we cause harm, and the reality is that we will and we do, what can aspiring allies and advocates do to address this harm? So for today's question, I'm asking, what does personal accountability in the workplace look like? And to answer this question, joining me today is Camille Dundas. Camille, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Melissa. Great to be with you. So just a bit about Camille. Camille is the co-founder of buyblacks.com. Camille is a keynote speaker, a racial equity consultant, and principal educator at the Ideas Practice, Inc. Camille is an intersectionality expert, and she puts a specific emphasis on the idea that effective diversity work must go beyond gender. Her approach is heavily rooted in explaining what allyship looks like and giving tangible steps to help transform organizations. Most recently, she's launched Canada's first DEI micro-credential, the Foundations of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the Workplace with Dalhousie University. Camille, again, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to talk about this topic with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Melissa. So let's talk about this because, like I said in the intro, that the comments that Lady Hussey said, and, and it was, you know, where are you from? Where are hmm. you really from? These, This is a question that gets asked over and over and over in the workplace. It's probably one of the most common microaggressions and people are just like, but I'm just curious. Yes. I just, I just want to know, right. I'm just, I just want to know where are you from? Um, and so you know, <laughs> people are thinking like, what's the big deal, but yeah. there's more to that. Yeah, there's a lot more to it. And first, I'll address the most common response that I hear from white folks, well-meaning white folks, is, well, people ask me that all the time. And, you know, I'll just say, yeah, you know, my grandparents are Italian or Irish or et cetera. But you mentioned intersectionality. And when you are a Black person or a person of color, a racialized person, there is a lot more to that question because what that question is implying is that you cannot possibly be from here. Mm. And if we put it in a Canadian context, what it is implying is that you do not meet my criteria or what, or my vision of what a Canadian looks like. Right. And so it's a question about who gets to belong and who doesn't. And in the workplace, that question can be even more harmful because when we are new to a workplace, for example, and that is one of the first questions one of our colleagues asks us, we start to think, oh, 
what are they going to do with that information now in terms of how are they going to treat me differently? Mm-hmm. Are they now going to categorize me and treat me based on stereotypes instead of based on how I interact with them? So, yeah, and I think it's really interesting because we've had the opportunity to be on different like workshops together and the pushback then are people like, so what now I can't ask this question anymore. And that's the response, right? It's not like, oh, I didn't realize that that could be causing harm. And that's where that question around personal accountability mm-hmm. comes into place. And once we receive this new information, what do we do? Because I think people get really defensive around that because they, again, they sort of minimize it. It happens all the time. And there's sort of a lack of personal accountability and responsibility around redressing harm, especially with these things. And and I think that's the thing. I know that you speak a lot about this, about microaggressions, is that they're so insidious. People have sort of made light of them. There is no real sort of personal accountability. And so the harm continues daily. The, the accountability, the personal accountability really begins with self-interrogation. Hmm. And when I say interrogation, I mean, I want you to challenge yourself to really ask yourself why you feel entitled to somebody else's information. Mm. Why? And I'll give you, I'll, I'll put myself out there as an example, right? And when I did some of my own self-interrogation and I'll acknowledge that type of self-reflection It's uncomfortable. We don't like to do it because we may not like the answers that come up. I noticed that I had a tendency to ask other people of color where they were from and where they were really from when I met them because my biases, my biased brain wants to categorize them based Mm -hmm. on stereotypes that I've grown up with. So when I see another black person, I want to know, my biased brain is saying to me, what kind of black person are they? Are they from the continent of Africa? Are they from the Caribbean? Or did they grow up here in Canada exclusively? Why does my brain want to know that? If I'm not self-interrogating, I'll say, well, I'm just curious. I just want to know about their culture. But that's not really true. Hmm. What's true is that my brain is nudging me to quickly make an assessment about that person based on stereotypes. I've grown up, we've all grown up with lots of stereotypes about every different culture. And this is something that our brain automatically does because our brain is always looking for neural shortcuts. And so we, this is why it's called, you know, unconscious versus conscious, because we are trying to say, hey, we need to be conscious of this. Mm -hmm. So it's not that, okay, I had this epiphany and now I just never think about that anymore. I, it, that my brain still works that way because it is a biased brain. All of our brains are biased, but now when it comes up, I can check it Mm -hmm. because I'm aware of it. And I can say to myself, Camille, why do you care? Yeah. That question comes up and I say, why do you care? Okay, that's why you care. Don't ask that question. If you are a leader and and you are resting on the, well, I'm just trying to get to know my team. Mm -hmm. I challenge you on that. Because if you are really trying to just get to know someone on your team, you won't have to go through a checklist of questions like this. 
you would have created an environment where people feel safe to talk about their backgrounds. And I want you to really understand the threat that lies for some of us in talking about our cultural background. Mm -hmm. If I'm Palestinian, for example, and I reveal that that's where I grew up, then now suddenly I've stepped into a very political conversation just by revealing where I grew up. If I'm a refugee from a war-torn country and I tell you where I came from, then you might start asking me very personal questions that maybe I don't want to discuss in the workplace. So when you say things like, it's not a big deal, what's the big deal? I want you to think about those people. Mm -hmm. And maybe because of the privilege of where you've grown up, you've never had to think about how talking about your cultural background has impacted you because it doesn't negatively impact you. But for other people, it does. It's a heavy weight that they carry. And I think that's a really important way to frame it is that, yeah, I mean, we are looking at it through this narrow lens of like, I'm just trying to get to know people. But I think really pushing it out and saying, why do I need to know this information? Often when I do stuff on gender identity, people are like, well, I just, I want to know, you know, okay. what, what, how do they identify? I said, but why do you need to know? Mm -hmm. All you need to know sometimes to commute, like, why do you want, is it's to satisfy your curiosity, you know, as long as you have a name for a person, you know, you can still interact. You, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can, you can continue to have respectful conversations. You know, do you need to know the person's gender identity in, in the store to interact with them? No, if they've got a name tag. You know, you can, it, it, and it's our biased brains trying to figure it out. But that stopping and pausing and thinking, why do I need to know this information? And yeah, and also let's, my curiosity. And let's go back to that, that lady hussy story. Yes. And remember that she not only asked this question, but she actually physically touched the woman in question. The woman in question was wearing a braid. And she moved her braid aside. So she crossed her personal space mm -hmm. to move her hair aside so she could read her name tag. And when she when she asked her, where are you from? And the woman responded with sister space, which is the organization that she was from. She said, no, 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 no. I mean, where are you really from? And then it was, well, where are your people from? Where are your ancestors from? For a black woman living in the UK, the story of my ancestors that's going to get awkward for you as a white person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you're implicated. Yeah. So do you really want us to have this conversation at a cocktail or, or not? Right. Yeah. And then when you as the black person respond in such, now you're seen as the angry person. Now you're seen as, Oh, why, why are you making so much of this? Right. So think mm -hmm. about the, 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 the number of hoops that we are having to jump through just by you not accepting the first answer that we gave. Mm -hmm. No, and, and I think the other part of this too is how this was handled mm. in terms of going back to that sort of, um, you know, now this this sort of was obviously, you know, Hussey has and the, and the palace has like a big comms department who are going to put out statements and they're going to, you know, try to do the right thing. But in the workplace, you know, if someone addresses and say like, hey, you know, asking me where I'm really from is, you know, that's a microaggression and here's like the harm that you've done. How can we sort of, you know, in our day-to-day -day interactions, you know, what's the right way to handle this situation when we're called out or yeah, uh, 
you know, yeah. when, when it's brought to our attention, because I think uh, most people are, are, again, like that reaction, like, I didn't, whoops, you know, people are mm-hmm. going to get defensive and stuff, but I think there's a better way forward. Well, here's some things not to do first, because that list is longer. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing that we often do when we're made aware that we've harmed someone is that we center our own feelings. Mm. We make it about ourselves. So you'll say something like, oh, you know, I didn't mean it that way. I'm I'm a good person. I didn't mean that. You shouldn't be offended. Right. Or you will kind of like turn it on the other person and be like, well, people ask me that all the time and and I don't get offended. Like, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we'll, we'll completely derail by saying, oh, you know, we have much more important things to worry about. You know, there's a war happening that we just completely d- derail, right? Or we will tone police them. As I mentioned, we will mm-hmm. say to them like, oh, well, why do you have to get so angry if you just, you know, told me a, li- a little bit, you know, more nicely than I, I would have listened to you. Or, you know, you would you would blame them. You would say, well, you know, if you don't want people to ask you about your culture, then don't wear cultural clothing. Hmm. Or we'll just do this withdrawal thing, right? Where we say, oh, well, you know, I can't say anything. You can't say anything around you. So you know what? I just won't say anything at all. Right. These are some of the common uh, defensive defense mechanisms that that come into play. So that's what not to do. (laughs) Whereas. Uh, If you are someone who is aspiring to practice allyship, instead, you would center the person and not center yourself. So you would say, are you okay?" You would listen to their response. Mm -hmm. You would try to learn from what they're saying and thank them for letting you know. So my default when I have unintentionally harmed someone is thanks for letting me know. I am sorry. And then I won't put the burden of my education on them. I won't say to them, well, explain it to me. Why is that offensive? Mm -hmm. I won't do that. I will go off and do my own research. I'll read a few articles, listen to a few podcasts on that particular issue. And based on my relationship with them, I will come back to them and say, hey, you know what? I I thought a a little bit more about that interaction we had the other day. I was wondering if we could chat a bit more about it. And I will share with them what I learned. And if they have the emotional energy, they might share with me a little bit more about how this impacts them on a day-to-day. And then I would watch my own patterns in the future, right? I will Mm -hmm. do some more self-work, some more self-interrogation to figure out, why did I think that was okay? How have I come to normalize that type of thinking? How did I get there? Where where did I pick those things up and how can I be aware of them in the future? Apologizing also has some important elements to it. Okay. One, just first acknowledging, mm-hmm. right? So that's the, I see you. I apologize. Thanks for letting me know. The emotional side of it is you will feel emotional but you have to remember not to center your own emotions. So that means not crying, even though you might feel like crying. If you start crying when you have harmed someone, you make the entire interaction about yourself because their instinct will likely be to comfort you or to try to remove the awkwardness from the situation and start backpedaling and be like, you know what? Actually, it's okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And they want to just get out of that situation as quickly as possible. Right. Yeah. Instead, center the harm that you have caused, right? 
And then that accountability means changed behavior. You mm -hmm. can't apologize to them. And then in a different setting, let's say there's, let's say it was a racial microaggression. Mm -hmm. And now you're in a different setting, but you're in a room with only white people. But you continue to use that offensive term mm -hmm. because in your mind, well, there's no one here to be offended. Right. Right. I know a lot of us do that, but I want you to think about, is that really accountability? Are you only being inclusive or thinking about others when they are directly impacted? Or should your, your goal be to just do the right thing all the time? The hardest part about apologizing for me is releasing the idea of forgiveness. Hmm. That you should forgive me, that you even owe me forgiveness. That's difficult for me because I really want you to forgive me because I really want you to like me. And yeah. I really want everything to be okay. I want it to be like, this never happened. <laughs> and we can just be friends and everything will be fine. But I have to accept the possibility that you may not forgive me. But because allyship work is selfless work, mm. your forgiveness can't be my end goal. Right. My end goal can only be my own self-awareness, my own journey, my own allyship. And being authentic in that. Well, and I think that there's a few things I want to just pull out from what you said. And I really, I really appreciate, you know, that you highlighted how to respond in the moment, because I think most folks default to feelings of shame, guilt, mm -hmm. anger, defensiveness. But having that language, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'm sorry. You're, you know, for thank you for telling me. It gives you a line right away to say. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate what you said around going and doing your own learning because so many folks want the other person to explain to them, well, tell me why is this wrong? Right. Which then puts the burden back on them. And uh, so I really appreciated that step. And I think the the last thing you said about the practice of allyship, and I'd love for you to sort of, I know that that's something that you focus on in your work, but I think that's really important is that so many folks kind of wear this badge or try to wear the badge and they're like, I'm an ally. So it's okay. Right. Um, but I love the idea that it, this is a practice. And so, yeah. It's... And that's, that's why my organization is called the idea practice, mm. because these, these things are things that you must practice because you will get them wrong. And the goal is never to be able to memorize all the new buzzwords, all the inclusive terms. Okay. You can rattle them all off. Congratulations. But what happens, what happens when you don't, you, you don't say the most inclusive term or that term that was inclusive today is not inclusive tomorrow because language is ever evolving. Mm -hmm. Your practice of allyship comes in when you're able to respond with grace, when you are able to set aside your ego, when you are able to pivot in the moment and have the humility to know that you don't know everything. And also that the work is not about applying the exact rules to every person, because frankly, 
what is acceptable or harmless to one person may not be to another. Mm -hmm. And so going into this knowing that you can't say, you know, oh, well, I said whatever to my black friend. What, what's wrong with you? They didn't have a problem with it. Identity and issues of identity and belonging are so personal. And we have to give room for that. So I know that you've designed this course that your your practice on uh, your consultancy is really around um, allyship. And so, you know, which I think... Um, it's so important. I, as we sort of move towards the end of the show, I wanted to ask you, you know, what should our folks take away from this conversation? If there's one thing that they can sort of, you know, um, set, focus on as we close out, what what should that be in terms of accountability or allyship? I think before you embark on an allyship journey, it is really important to start with self. And that is looking within thinking about where do I fall on any privilege scale? Mm. How do my privileges shift in different rooms? Based on your intersectionality, you could have very high privilege in one room and then it can drop drastically in a different room, in a different country, in a different city, on a different team. And having that type of awareness, that consciousness, will help you to be able to have authentic responses in the moment. What's also very important is an understanding of historical context. Mm. If you are unable to make the connection between the current issues we're facing today and our historical context, authentic responses will always evade you because you will only be seeking to respond with the most current you know, buzzwords, as opposed to actually understanding how these issues have evolved, how our history, how the history of our economies have impacted how our workplaces are set up. These things are directly connected. And who set them up and, and who they are set up to benefit and who they are set up to exclude. It is all intentional. And we have to start making those connections so that we can see things clearly. I'm, you know, as a historian, that makes me happy because I haven't felt more relevant than mm -hmm. sort of knowing like that. Yes. I mean, you know, the way that our workplaces are now or the way that our society is now is directly based on systems and structures that were put in place and have continued to shift and work, but to benefit certain groups of folks over others. And I think I really love that you said that like, understanding where we are now in relation to our historical context is so critical because um and and I love that you said like that that authentic responses will evade you right if you don't understand that I think that's so so important so I know that in your work you do focus a lot on providing people with the historical context especially for in Canada mm -hmm. and that's like a really really interesting and unique part of the work that you do so for folks who are interested in sort of learning more about the work you do, who may want to connect with you, engage you in your work, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So send me a DM there. I'll always respond. But if you want more detailed information about the course, it is called Foundations of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion in the Workplace. You can go to our website, theideapractice.com. 
to get information about the course outline. You can sign up for the course at any time because it is self-paced. And then you'll also get four hours total of FaceTime with me, as well as some other facilitators where we can do some live Q&A and really drill down into how what you learned in the course applies to your life and your role in your particular workplace. Amazing. Camille, thank you so much for being here today. And, you know, you also have buyblacks.com, which is another great source for information for folks who also want to follow Black Media in Canada as well. So thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you sharing your time, your energy, and your expertise with our audience. And as always, if you have any of your own questions, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Camille, again, it's been a pleasure so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Melissa. Well, until next time, I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, and this is Just One Cue.